You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Hi, everyone. Today, we wrap up our mini-series on faith and science by bringing all of our guests back together for a final conversation on the topic. Let's just go around and quickly introduce ourselves. Hi, my name is Abigail Miller, and I'm currently a fifth-year graduate student at Cornell University studying cell biology and biochemistry, and I am a Roman Catholic. Uh, Tyler? I work in area of nuclear hydrogen combination. Oh, science is more engineering moment. We're going to get, you combine nuclear energy, by hydrogen, green hydrogen is our goal. I am a research of Latter-day Saints. I'm college Mormons. Miriam? I'm a material scientist and I study polymers uh, and I'm Jewish. What lesson have you taken from either the practice or teachings of your faith that have been useful in coping with professional challenges in your career? Maybe we can start with Miriam. I think as I told Megan before, the best part is that I have a day of rest because when you're a scientist, it's very easy to work 24 Mm seven without stopping. And then you get burnt out, you lose track of your family, you lose track of the world outside and the meaning of things. So having one day of complete rest, you dissociate yourself from electronics and from the day-to-day things is very good. I can second Miriam's expression. Day of rest is very nice. I'll add that other things that import me is you learn more about, you know, the physical science and the, I might be a creator. The creator made the earth and all things and even, even math, all things, these are, are from a creator. So I, it's nice to see my science area very, often very, very narrow, very deep, but to see a broader view of things, help me find this religion and see not just my little thought, my process, my viewpoint, helps me to broaden my, my view and see a, a bigger viewpoint. It's very helpful for me to, to not get so deep and narrow my area. And so it helps me back up a little bit and, and, and enjoy life more fully. Enjoy more life. That Life is more than science. I definitely agree with both Miriam and Tyler. I think one more thing that I'd add along with what they said is that my faith helps to make me more of an optimistic person. It like helps to give my life more purpose, especially like when a lot of scientists kind of regard their lives or regard their lives as work, you know, like a ton of work. It helps to give me more purpose and helps me to be more optimistic. And, you know, science isn't very gratifying and is kind of a bummer most of the time. Um, <laughs> very disappointing. And a lot of, you know, you constantly fail and fail and fail. So it helps to make me more optimistic. Just going to uh, tie into what Tyler said, because that's usually like the essential question that you asked me last time when people always ask, does your religion interfere with science? And are there inconsistencies and how can you practice religion while still be a scientist but I said exactly the same thing Tyler did that science sort of confirms religion it shows you how beautiful the world is and that whoever made it uh, was amazing and uh, you know the more you study the more you're in wonder at its, its complexity and its really its elegance yeah I, I definitely heard that thread through all of your interviews like there were a couple of very interesting like common threads between all of your interviews and that was definitely one of them and it was really fascinating to to see that and hear that I, i think that ties right 
kind of into the next question, because Miriam, you brought up what people ask you about the relationship between faith and science. We came into this mini series on faith and science with pro probably a wrong preconception, but a preconception that practicing faith in graduate school or even just in a scientific career might be challenging at times. And then again, tying into the, all the common threads, interestingly, all of you guys expressed that it wasn't really an issue throughout graduate school and throughout your careers. And so we sort of had a, an additional question, which is, what do you actually say to a secular person who believes that there is actually a fundamental conflict between faith and science? Sure, I can take a stab at it. I'm not sure I'm an expert in the topic, but I'll, I'll try. I think that there should be some conflict, actually. I, I wouldn't expect between humans to have to do science, humans do religion, and both are both on error. So I would, even in, in my field of science, the hydrogen or biofuels, always just disagreement. People find out, oh, is this true, that true, or in my, in my, my colleagues and I, we argue a lot of different things, you know, is that going to work this way? There's all the arguments. So I think if there were no conflict, I'd be worried. Something, you know, something's not wrong. So there is conflict, but me it's more an apparent conflict because we're, we're humans, we have errors, our knowledge is very incomplete. It's very limited. I've got in her interview. We have the scriptures in either Bible or Talmud or other books, or religious books, but those are written by, by prophets, by people, with a long time ago, within their knowledge of science and their area. So there are issues that there should be variances. I expect that. Of course there are. And so I, if there weren't, I'd be worried. I think also first person of life, in my view, first of life, is to come and to le learn who we are, to experience and grow without God you know, over our shoulder, watching every second. We're kind of far away. Like my kids, I'm gone. They get to be, be grow, they grow more. They you know, grow through, they're more independent. They, this life is to be more independent. We shouldn't be so tethered you know, to, a, to a being that oversees and, and commands and all things. We have a chance to grow, to learn, to improve. So I think the, there is some conflict in science and religion. I expect that. I mean, it's natural. And I, I embrace that. And we'll look for the issues that both, there are areas in both, and we interpret them, put them together, and learn together, in my, my view. Um, Abigail, what about you? What do you say to a secular person who believes there's a fundamental conflict? It's a, that's a tricky question. Um, <laughs> there's definitely been people that have asked me, like, how can I be, you know, religious and, um, you know, a scientist? And I've had those conversations usually with people that I'm really close to. Um, but I just kind of explain that, you know, I believe that God is a part of everything that we're, that we're doing and our whole entire world. And, you know, he's a part of science too. And that you can practice your, your faith and believe in science. And there's, there should be no disagreement between the two, in, in my opinion. But I kind of understand what Tyler is saying too, to have some conflict. It's natural. So, yeah, I think it's a tricky question, but... Yeah, right on. Um, Miriam, what about you? How do you, I guess you sort of addressed this in your previous uh, answer, but how do you explicitly address a secular person who has, uh, a, who believes that there's a fundamental conflict? I usually ask for an example because I, I never found any conflict. Our understanding is clearly, clearly not perfect, and that's why we have science. And we have hypotheses, and our hypotheses are often wrong. That's okay. But that doesn't mean God is wrong. That means we're wrong. <laughs> so it's our job to really discover science. And we discover, like, Maxwell's equations or something that's been proven true over and over again. 
And that is God. God created those laws. God created the laws that makes the universe work. And it's up to us to understand them and to learn them and to study them. And if we often don't understand something, well, that's because human beings are not perfect. It's just the nature of things. And we just try harder. You know, just because Aristotle said that, you know, the earth is the center of the universe doesn't mean it's so. That's all. So, so if I'm understanding this correctly, all of your responses to a secular person is basically like, no, there's just, there isn't a conflict, period. End of story. And tell me why you think that is. Correct. Correct. It's, it's almost like when you go to the Museum of Natural History in New York City, and they start going, what's the origin of the world? And then they just keep going back and back and then it just stops. Like, all right, somebody said, let there be light. I agree. <laughs> no conflict. So the, the third question is kind of like very close to the, the second already that we just asked you. So now, did you have any experiences on the other end of the spectrum where what we would say to a religious person, like what kind of conversation do you have with them? Do you have the same answer for somebody who's not believing in God versus somebody who, who does? Say. I, 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 w I was thinking, trying to parse these questions. And I think the largest disconnect when speaking to someone who is uh, not an atheist, let's say. Because when you say believe, people believe different things in different degrees, but someone who does not believe in a deity at all, and mm -hmm. um, you're speaking to them, the question is, are you accountable for your actions to anything or anybody? Is anybody out there who knows the consequences of what you did today in the future? If, you know, you're all by yourself, you do something, you know, the tree falls in the forest, was anybody there to see it, to listen to it, to take note of it and sort of to make it matter? Mm -hmm. I think that's usually where the crux of the issue is. And uh, a person who believes in God believes that there's always somebody there that's taking into account whatever you do and that everything that you do, you know, the butterfly in China has a consequence somewhere mm -hmm. um, and that there's a grander scheme of things. Uh, whereas someone who's completely atheistic who says, no, there isn't, there's nothing like that at all, that like if you have a lottery the, your chances of winning the lottery are one in 10 million. Yes, I can calculate by statistics. But if you win, the question is, why me? Why not the other guy? Or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think the concept of God comes in. Um, sorry, what, what was the question? So I the just, question is... Is it is, the third question? Or are we yes, that's the third okay. question, yeah. Okay. What, what do you think? Um, what, what do you say well, to somebody? Do you have another kind of conversation somebody you mentioned in our interview that you have friends that uh, practice their own faith yeah do you have uh, do, what kind of conversation do you have with them when they feel that there is a conflict between faith and science pretty much I, I haven't really come across people that have that are part of my faith that have an issue with it they have issues with other things <laughs> but not necessarily um, strictly science. Mm -hmm. And I've also talked to you know, people from different faiths. I'm very close friends with someone who's, who's Muslim. And there's also, at least from what I've, what I've got gathered from her, um, there's not a huge conflict with her religion either. It becomes more of an issue when it's, when it's taking away from 
you being a religious person, I think. But I haven't actually been in a situation where someone who's Catholic has said that I can't be a scientist or, you know, you can't believe in God and science. And, and Tyler, did you? I mentioned one conflict that goes back to Abigail Stegos and Miriam. I worked two years at Sandia National Labs in Cal- actually in California campus. And Sandia is kind of their mission statement or their kind of goal is they say, you know, fix problems through science. We will solve those problems. All problems the world will solve all science. World hunger, energy crises, or whatever. Science, science is, their, is our king. Science is God. And to my view, the conflict there is that really science can do a lot of things, but it cannot only do everything. So like, like I have to say, no, science won't solve all the problems. It can't. It's not always right. Often we're wrong. It's kind of depressing. Having a view of looking at God is in charge in the end. All things will be fine and well because God can He can solve the problems with His help, with His guidance, with His inspiration. The problem will be solved. All these problems we have now, we they're, they're short, temporary, temporary problems. The science can't solve them, and that's okay. Science doesn't have, doesn't have to. So it gives me a lot more faith and, and comfort knowing that there's some problems that we, we can't solve, humans can't solve, and that's okay. There are is life beyond death. There are you know there is time for fixed problems. Beyond, beyond, beyond the death. So I have a lot of comfort that science won't solve our problems, but God can. So if I, if I talk to somebody who's religious, then I mention well, a conflict in God or science. Well, I said, what, who, who do you, who saves you? Who helps you solve our problems? And science is helpful for some problems for, for now, for the, you know, in, in this life, but it can't solve all problems. That's how I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really interesting. I was going to say one comment, again, following up on Tyler. Um, science doesn't solve problems. Science is a tool. It's like the knife doesn't cut up your steak. You do. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes. Right. So that, that's where it comes in. Religion is how do you use the science? Do you use it like you know, Nazi Germany used it? They were very good scientists. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's. it's there's science is a tool it's like a knife you can do good things and bad things with it and when it comes to ethics morality religion that's where the human part comes in so miriam in your opinion you think that having faith and having spirituality can drive positive ethics and morality within science i just want to clarify that point of course especially if you're someone from sandia national lab everybody knows atomic energy versus atomic terrible things right that's that's the given it's how you use science and using science for the benefit of humanity is something that an ethical person tries to do it's an interesting way of thinking about things i i would like to just make the point as someone who is not necessarily religious that not all non-religious people don't have the ethics no no that's not what i implied i said eth- ethical people regarding of the source of your ethics it it uh, people should be ethical regardless of what they call themselves i see Their science is there to better humanity one of the reasons why i'm, I'm pretty well versed in this comes from the history of nanotechnology. Nanotechnology, when it first came out, everybody was very excited, super excited. And then you had that very famous uh, book by uh, Michael Crichton, Prey or something, 
where he has nanoparticles that become robots and they take over the world or some stupid thing like that. So all of a sudden, everybody was attacked that nanotechnology was somehow scientists being devious and trying to control people, ridiculous stuff like that. <laughs> but, but what it did do though, it made us take a step backwards and we started to think, what have we done with nanoscience? Is it really safe? Have we opened up a new source of toxicology? So there was a field called nanotoxicology that's come up now that has shown that a nano, a lot of nanoscience really has to be done responsibly. It's called doing science holistically. Is it safe today? Is it safe a hundred years from now? Where is it going and what, what you do, how does it impact other people around you? And if you believe in God, that's one of the goals of God. If you don't believe in God, then you believe in humanity as well. Either way, it's an obligation, I think, of the human race to make science sustainable for the good of the human race. Thank you for clarifying. I, I feel like I, I understand now. I'm actually really glad that you did. <laughs> so the next one is kind of related to like our overall theme for our podcast is related to graduate school which I believe a lot of this mini-series has not been fully related to graduate school, and <laughs> we apologize to our listeners for that. What was really interesting is that all of you guys struck me as incredibly confident in your religious identities, be it in your identity, identity with Catholicism or uh, Mormonism or Judaism, and obviously there are so many other religions and religious identities out there. So my question is, what advice would you give to religious students who have some sort of religious identity, who might not have the confidence that you guys displayed, and who might be struggling with their religious identity within graduate school? Abigail, I'm going to start with you, since you're closest to graduate school. Yeah, I think that this is a very close to home question for me, because even if I seemed super confident in my, in my interview, I'm still one thing that I'm really trying to work on is my confidence in both graduate school and science and in my religion. So what I would say to someone is to really try to embrace it more and to pray, to really pray about it and reflect on it more. There's both room for work and doing your science and room for religion in your life. And, and God wants that to be a big part of your life. If there's pushback at all for a graduate student to practice their religion, that should not be tolerated. So if there's any issue like that going on at anyone's university or, or anything, they need to make someone aware of that because that should not be tolerated. And I think that um, like as a graduate student, there's a lot of pressure to constantly be working, to constantly like be really good at what you're doing but the fact is is that you're not an expert at what you're doing yet and you're you're in training and so to kind of like understand that take a step back and continue with your work at an appropriate pace is important and you should turn to you know you should you should um, use both that pace and your and you should use have your religion actually like help you with that pace too to bring them both into like a big part of your life. What about you, Tyler? It, it's a hard question. I think some people I know have these you know, crises of faith, crises. You tell them, well, yeah, just pray more, read more, say more, 
and they get kind of offended because they, I, I've done, I have prayed more, I have read more, I don't feel it, I don't know, and I, I think that's a very real challenge that you know that, that we we walk by faith in darkness, not seeing, and so and you can pray more, read more, all you want, the answer may not come, and that's that's I guess part of life. So I I, I feel a long long answer. One example, my wife's in grad school now, and last night she's in a school as Northwest Nazarene in Boise. Just class, class, I don't fall here, but it's every week and weekends. Last semester, she had a class, last semester, from a Professor Ed. It's a Catholic school, but he's, he's atheist. There's a class in religious aspects of social work. His goal is making all kinds of essays, his class is making atheists. He's like, I, religion is, is false, it's wrong, I'm going to fix you. Your semester putting out problems and issues of religion and just picking at it and poking at it, just proving it wrong. And that made that made my wife think a lot more deeply. I'll think, well, here's the issue, yeah, the problems and think more carefully. So the challenges, I think, are opportunities to think more carefully. If you're having a, a faith crisis, to me, it's not all, it's not a, not a bad thing. It actually, it's, it's it's a good thing in some ways to think more carefully, to a chance to ponder. If you have a faith and you take it for granted, well, I, of course, I I believe I'm I'm a, a Christian or I'm something else. I'm confident. I'm, I'm right. That's pretty blind. <laughs> we really should step back and say, hey, maybe what I think isn't true. Probably you're right because I mean, what we think is we see darkly. We may have me right in some ways, but only a little bit. Well, what I believe is probably mostly, mostly wrong. It, it probably is. And to recognize that, and uh, though there are errors, and have the chance to reevaluate and think again, you know, not so, not so deep in my, my field, but step back and think more broadly. You know, yeah, there are Christians, and there's Muslims, and there's Jews, and there's Hindus, and can they all be right? Probably not. But that, that's okay, too. So in, in a Christian view, what you're, you're given, use that and do the best you can. If you're, if you're a Christian, the best you can with a Christian to Christianity. If you're Muslim, do that the best you can. If you're Jewish, same thing. What you are may not matter that much. God gave you these different talents, abilities, or, or beliefs, or systems. Whatever you are, do the best you can. Do the best you can. And grow with that. Learn with that. Step back and affect others. And in the end, God will help and grow us all together. So there are many, many religions. And that's fine. I think God intends that. If it's all one religion, all one belief system, There'd be no faith, no choices, no reason to think or ponder. We're meant to have to grow, and that requires choices. So I think having this, these doubts in our minds, and it, well, maybe it's all wrong, maybe this, that's healthy. It's normal. Accept that. Exercise some belief and some faith, and, and grow. Use it to grow. So I think doubts, doubts are good. Just not, not, not to paralyze. If a doubt paralyzes you and stops you and you cower in fear, not so good. Move forward in faith. Believe. Have courage and move, but the doubts give us pause and think other view- viewpoints are also valid, and that's okay. I just want to comment and say how, in a way, that was very like scientific approach to religion. <laughs> Miriam, do you want to comment on the uh, advice question, advice to graduate students who may be having a religious identity crisis? I agree with Tyler. I think there's two different things here going going scientifically here. There's identity as to what religion am I versus is there a God? That's a, there's that general question versus what is my religion is, is a more um, straightforward question because each religion defines rules for its members and how to become a member of one religion or another and how it goes. Uh, but that's sort of like Tyler said, there are many ways to serve God. And every religion that you are and that you're born and that's part of your identity has a certain way of reaching, making God as part of your life. 
And when you're having an identity crisis, I would say it's more of a crisis of, is there a God? Not like, am I a Muslim or am I a Jew? I don't know which one I am. That's usually not the case. If you're a graduate student, I think the question is how religious you are and how much do you know about religion is something that comes into the graduate program already with you. It's something that comes with you. It's already your way of life. You come into graduate school, you're already 21, 20. You're pretty grown up and you've already had extensive exposure to the religion from your family and your environment. Or you may be learning something new. You're an adult in that sense. The problem I, I find in graduate school is social pressure where people may not respect your religion. Mm -hmm. um, like I think somebody said before, it's an advisor who expects you to work seven days a week because he has a grant coming up and you're just a graduate student and he needs that data. So when you say I observe Friday, Sunday or Saturday, whatever your day of rest may be, and he'll say, nah, but this has to be done. You know, this is more important than God. That's not a matter of that's more important than God or religion. Is the question is, is that piece of data more important than your identity? And the answer is no. Nothing is more important than your humanity and your identity as a person. That's really disrespect for your way of life when people behave like that. Graduate students should be empowered and realize that. that that's, that's really when the crisis comes up. I'm like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I don't want him to fire me. I want to continue. I'll get my PhD. I'm really under pressure. But if the graduate student realizes that it's the advisor that's wrong that's behaving like that, not you. Because if you told him the same thing, he'd say, oh, I have to be with my kids on Sunday. I can't, you know, be with you on Sunday. Okay. So it's a matter of mutual respect for people. I think that's very, very important. A challenge there is in grad school, you have your professor, you have the committee, have your school, the, you know, the, the department head, the dean, they have all the power. The student has no power. And so if you, if you say, I won't do that, I refuse, you are at their mercy. And it, it's a brutal hard system. So you're, you're kind of forced and compelled to do what they want. But you think religion, 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 or your values, your identity, they may not care. That's a hard choice. But also, as, as grad school, that's the reality. But you go into a career, you're a junior scientist and maybe at a university, maybe you're at a national lab. You get your advisor, your bosses say, proposal is due or funding is due. You work you know, till it's done. Problems don't change in, after grad school, at least my experience. They may get, may some less and some get worse. But you make choices once in grad school. Those choices you make affect your future decisions. I think it's good to, when you're still young and, and thinking about it, before you find out a path, Decide what you want to be, decide and choose and follow that path. If you kind of make small choices over time, they add up. So in grad school, I would think what, what you want to be, who you want to be, what, and change what you want to make in the world, and start now. And don't do it, you know, in five years from now or 10 years from now, because by then, you've changed and your view changes, and you lose who you are. It is true. That's correct. If you're consistent and you keep saying, this is who I am, my goal is your goal. I respect this proposal. I will organize my time. But... I do it within the confines of my religion. I am a religious person, a religion X, Y, Z. People in the end will respect you and they will know that you are playing by these rules. I think we've definitely had some other conversations, maybe outside of the podcast, 
but potentially in the podcast just about advisors taking advantage of students. I don't know, and I'm going to look this up after the uh, after this the panel discussion ends, but I don't know if there are actually legal protections for religious students against advisors who are asking them to to go against I mean, the religion. There is a union of the graduate student, at least at UC Berkeley there is, I believe in a lot of university too. Yeah. But in general, like if you want to graduate and if you want to have like, you want to feel happy in your work, you tend to just, as Tyler say, be at the mercy of the people who are like giving you the orders. So that's that's very tricky. There is no like one way to go. It always depends on what kind of person is your supervisor. You have to look for yourself and defend yourself because they won't do that for you. So you have to respect who you are. And I believe that if you at least can manage that, they will have, they will eventually respect you also as you are. It's true. Like if you said, let's say kosher. Okay. Somebody says I eat kosher. So your advisor will cater something and it won't be kosher. Well, it's all right if you eat this just one time. Okay. And if you say, no, I will not. The analogy is if you told your advisor, I am deathly allergic to shellfish. I can bet you he's not going to put shellfish on the table when he makes an event. Yeah. Yeah, They just want to know how committed you are to something and then they work around it. And your goal is to get things done, but you do it on your time scale versus some other time scale. I just want to add something to that conversation. Um, So you're talking about advisors and like you're at the mercy of your advisors, but you're also kind of at the mercy of the people that you work with too. Mm -hmm. And so if you work with someone that's not respectful of who you are and your religious identity, it can be kind of difficult. One thing that happens to me a lot is that people are constantly expecting me to be able to respond to them right away, like on a Sunday morning or, you know, a Sunday afternoon, like right before this podcast, like somebody wanted me to like send a bunch of pictures to them for, you know, some experiment that I was doing. I was like, can I just have a day where I don't, you know, where I can just, you know, reflect and be be with the word that I heard this morning and not constantly having to worry about work and worry about you know getting that in for this person on a Sunday night it's it's ridiculous so I just want to say that you need to also think about like the people that you're working with as you know a non-religious person to be respectful of them yeah you're right, because in advisor, it's easier. You can say, you know, don't bully me, all right. But the people who work with you can be downright annoying. So you right. just have to do it more times. <laughs> you yeah. just have to say that many more times, that's all. And I, I haven't said anything yet. I probably should, but <laughs> I'm just like, okay, whatever. And I think that's like just who I am right now. I'm not, I guess, as, hey, don't contact me on a Sunday. You know, this is my religious my off, but. It's my day of rest. That's it. And just say it's my day of rest. Yeah. I should say that. <laughs> I was given the advice in grad school. She has built like a career. Work your eight to five, then work uh, more as needed, but don't plan Don't plan more than that. Don't plan all weekend, Saturday, Sunday, work extra hours. It's the career like in your career. It's, it's a job. It's not, grad school should not be your, your life. You're more than a student, you are a person. Person has a life, so you should 
as much as possible as a student, it's, it's a career. Work mm -hmm. all day, all week, all week long, Saturday, Saturday, weekends. Those are time for family, for diversion, relaxation. Even when you're past grad school in a career, you may need to work more than 40 hours, but don't, don't plan that in. You do it because you have to, not because you, that's not, that's not life. And that's what told me at Sandia, he told me, if you can't work, if you can't make a career in 40 hours a week, you can't 60. If you can't do it in 40 hours a week, you're one week, 60 won't make that much better, <laughs> yeah. a little better. But really the game, you, you, you're losing a lot, you're gaining a little. You're, you're throwing a lot of your life away, you're gaining back, not very much. So as much as possible, yeah. you can make it a work week and, and stick to it. I think I think that advice translates to all grad students. I think that's what yeah. you're saying, whether yeah. you're religious or not. So we just have a, a quick final bonus questions. Um, so we're always trying to broaden our perspectives and find better ways to communicate with people of different experiences. But were there any implicit assumptions in our question that we had not considered when we asked you about faith and science and things like that? Abigail, you want to say something? I think one thing, so an assumption that you had, I think one thing that you had an assumption probably in some of the questions that you asked was that maybe that you were expecting there to be more of like a conflict, mm -hmm. I guess, yeah. with, with the way that I was raised, that we were raised and that that would have influenced, influenced what we were doing, um, that there might have been a story or something of, of us def defying something or some strictness, I guess, in, in our religion. But I don't, I don't know, just based on the, just based on the questions, there were a lot of, I don't know, just like maybe that assumption. I could mm -hmm. definitely sense that in editing and I'm going to flat out say like, I'm sorry for making those assumptions. No, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. I think that that is actually a, maybe not, I, I think it's probably an appropriate assumption because at least a lot of the conversations that I've had with people that I'm close to have made similar assumptions. Um, and I've talked to people that have had, you know, a completely different background from me and their religion that have had a story to, to tell about that. But Unfortunately, a lot of times they're, they're not a part of that religion, at least the people that I've talked to. And I haven't talked to a ton of people, right? These are only a couple of cases. They all kind of second, say the same thing, second, second that opinion. It depends on also your background growing up. I grew up in a Idaho rural community, small town. I don't I know a PhD, nobody. A PhD, nobody. I have people with master's degrees and a couple in the whole valley, a couple. They were engineers, master's degree, but they didn't kind of go with this. I'm sure I, I talked to them for church or for other people that science religion there were conflicts and that's that's yeah. kind of it in the community that was understood perceived but no one was scientists no one was a scientist in my community i i know i know anybody science in our town was well we're we're a farming town we have cows science was not a big, a big player in that, in that atmosphere i like go through in grad school and meet other scientists other people that are religious backgrounds like my, my advisor was also also religious which i thought was very very nice mm -hmm. then you see that actually when people who are educated that have degrees, they don't see a conflict. Whereas where I grew up, there was a conflict. But they had a lot of religion and not much science. In that case, there's a conflict because it, 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 it's, it's not balanced. You have, you have, you have, it can be one, not the other, there's a conflict. You have you know, no religion, no science, or vice versa, there'll be a conflict because they're out of step. If they're balanced in both approaches together, 
there's no conflict. As long as they're balanced, I think all is well. If they're not, then you get you know mis misinformation, misconceptions, ideas that are not not founded in in the, in the reality. Miriam, I was going to say re religion is a way of life for people. You come in with your religion to graduate school, you leave with that religion, and as you said before, also graduate school is not supposed to be all-encompassing. You have a life. You've got family. You have other relationships. Some people are married in graduate school. Some people have children, and you have obligations to them as well. Your graduate school is it's a career, but it's not your entire life. Religion, on the other hand, does color your life. So what's important when you get a bunch of people together is to have respect. You hear a lot about diversity now everywhere, but it's true. It's, you need to respect diversity. You need to respect how other people practice their religion. And you also have to understand what's important to them. It may not be important to you, but if it's important to them, you respect it. And then you work together with them in that framework. And then things just work. Thanks for listening to Secret Life of a Graduate Student. Like we mentioned in the episode, if you are a religious student experiencing some kind of religious discrimination from a faculty member or an advisor, you may have legal protections in the U.S. Reach out to Student Legal Aid on campus, which are typically free for legal advice. Other organizations like the ACLU may also be able to offer you or provide you assistance. Anyway, that's our mini-series on faith and science. Tune in next week for our new mini-series on Eureka, the moment when the hypothesis comes together.